This is Unclaimed Bands, show 89. Hey music listeners, this is Sean from Unclaimed Bands. Tonight we are coming to you from the Legendary Dobbs located at 304 South Street in Philadelphia, PA. The Legendary Dobbs is Philadelphia's home of live music and has played host to such notable acts as George Thurgood, Nirvana, Green Day, and many more. Dobbs has been showcasing the best local and national music since 1974. And tonight, our guests are Modern Color. Welcome, guys. How y'all doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I want to thank you for taking time to do this interview before you play here tonight at the Legendary Dobbs. Uh, but before we get into the interview, why don't we uh, listen to a song? Uh, what are we going to hear? Uh, this first track is the single off the LP that we will be releasing. This is called Mercury. Nice. New material. I like that. Exclusive people. That's right.
All right, that was Mercury by Modern Color. Guys, uh, do me a favor, left to right, right to left, up to you. Tell us your name, what you do in the band. My name is Stefan Sorokman, and I'm the guitar player and singer. That is a mouthful. All right. My name's uh, Tom Weir, and I play drums. Way to go, Tom. Keeping it, you know, that's all I can say it, you know? Right. I appreciate that. And we are, uh, we don't have our bassist here tonight. Did uh, you get rid of him? Accident? No, no, he got stuck at work. Work. Which is not, not fun. But his name's Chris Boyle. Uh, Chris we, we are a three-piece band. Chris, mm-hmm. we are missing you here. I really wish you were here, but um, hey, man, you know. Got to work. Got to pay the bills. Exactly, exactly. That's, you know, right? And, and just until you guys, you know, peak and then, then it's sleeping late and, you know, whiskey or booze <laughs> and interviews, you know, with sunglasses on, you know, that type of thing. At least that's what I hear. I, I don't know. So uh, c- what can you tell me about that first song? A uh, little, little background on it. Well, it was originally written, Tom and our friend Nate Ridgway, who is a singer-songwriter that we work a lot with. He's a fantastic, fantastic writer. And uh, I believe Tom came up with the riff first? I Well, I uh, <clears throat> I think Chad Smith said, um, uh, all drummers are bad guitarists. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, it's one of those, like, old adages, if you want to be good at one instrument, learn another one. Yep. So you can, you know. So I'm, I'm one of those guitarists. And uh-huh. I was trying to learn Old Man by Neil Young. Uh, on a summer day out on a porch and he uses that that augmented d chord and i used that with the g showed it to my friend nate and he was like i never would think to do that put those two things together we were watching uh what was the the ray charles uh movie with jamie fox mm-hmm. one of the headlines is uh when he's getting getting more prominent one of the headla- headlines is he rises to prominence and it rises like mercury and, you know it's getting hotter and i was like that's kind of cool nice and it, it kind of all happened one afternoon Stefan came home from work. We showed him what we were working on. And that's usually, we always kind of write something and then give it to another member and they always add on to it. You know. That's cool that that, that came. That's probably one of the well, coolest and, like stories well, I've heard about. Part, part of it was, too, when Nate and I sat down, we, we, we weren't just randomly doing it. We were consciously trying to write more simple tunes, more simple material. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the chorus is three words, you know, and it's two chords. And it's super easy. Yep. You know, it's it's trying to strip everything down so the listener likes it. Yeah, you just get it to the core. Yeah. Gotcha. No, no, no. I, I, that, that's great. I mean, to be able to... Uh, sometimes things get overcomplicated with music. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, keeping it to what it really was. I think it's Pete Sounds that said, you know, you keep adding things and layering things and adding it on. Eventually, it's not rock and roll anymore. It's, it's something else, but it's not rock and roll anymore. So that's kind of cool. Um, for, for people out there who don't know, and I'm certainly one of those people who don't know, how'd you guys all get together? How, you know? Well, you know the bands you don't grow up together or what? i I grew up here in the city in northern liberties, and uh I was in a bunch of bands all through high school and uh I took guitar lessons and I was good friends with Richard Chodak from Bluebound guitars and uh he was the first guitar player that you know encouraged me to play and do what I wanted to do so we created a band together and it's pretty much where I started and then I got a great opportunity to go on tour with Davy Knowles and Backdoor Slam, opening up for Chicken Foot uh, the summer of 2009. Wow. So I graduated high school, and the next day I left and went on tour for like four to five months and lived on the tour bus, did the whole opening up, playing the thousands. I was Davy's guitar tech, and that experience just, it made me realize what I wanted to do. So I get back, and my band had broken up when I got back, so I was in the search, and I randomly walking down the street in my home neighborhood, and I heard some music coming from the basement and my friend uh felicia and i we were just hanging out and we we're like let's let's sit down and listen to this so we did and a roommate somebody came out and was like 
can I help you? And we were like, oh, sorry, we'll leave. Like, you know, we're just listening to the music. Yeah. He goes, do you want to come in and meet the music? And I was like, I looked at Felicia and she was like, uh. I was like, yeah. So we go downstairs and Tom's rocking out to a, a Black Keys uh, track over the PA system, just playing to it. And uh, he looks up and I startled him. He was like, oh, hey, who the hell are you? I'd never like, seen him in my life before. Uh-huh. Just a strange kid in my basement. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, I'm Stefan. He's like, Tom. And then uh, next thing yeah. I know. Well, so the funny thing is, is I'm older than Stefan. I'm about four years older than Stefan is. And so the whole time he's in high school, I'm in college. Mm-hmm. And I graduated in 2008. And I graduated high school in 2009. Yeah, so <clears throat> uh, when I graduated, I couldn't, I couldn't find work with my degree. I ended up moving to the city to just find like cash, cash work, restaurant work. And I ended up bringing my, my instruments with me because I played drums casually in high school, uh, never seriously. And then, uh, I, like, listening to the Black Keys, I was like, this is easy. You know, this is, I can hear it. It's easy, and it rocks. Like, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, and these guys aren't overproducing anything, and it just sounds, it just has a groove. Yeah. So out of frustration, I just kind of set it up and started playing with it. Stefan came down. He heard it. We had some old guitars laying around, like old 15-watt practice amps. And so Stefan was like, do you mind if I plug in? And... Of the people that I had previously ever played with, they were college friends, high school friends. Uh, None of them were serious musicians, you know. And uh, Stefan was probably the first person that I heard plug in and play the way he did in 30 seconds. You know, you could tell he was a player. And I think we played two songs together. We we didn't really speak. We just, we played. And then uh, I don't think we spoke for a couple weeks. Um, It was probably like two weeks we didn't contact each other. And the, the original roommate who had invited him in was like, if you ever want to do anything with music, you should call that guy. I was like, I don't know. He's kind of weird. You know, he's like younger than me. Yeah, you know, like, what am I going to call some <laughs> kid who's like, in, out, okay. you know. Yeah, I was 18. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not going to call this teenager over. I, like, I'm an adult now. And uh, two weeks later, he came over, and uh, we started. My brother was actually our first bassist for about two weeks. Yeah. Um, we played. Uh, we had booked a show with no songs <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. We, we were like, this is a good idea. Let's, uh, let's start a band. All right, well, we got a show next week. Uh, so our show was at where was it? Uh, the White Horse? We, no, uh, Weaver's Pub Weaver's. on White Horse Pike in Jersey. And it's between two like discount liquor stores. Yeah, you know, and it's like one of those like you have to move a pool table out of the way to play. Oh man! And, yeah. And so we did that. We had like three shows there. Yeah. Right. Uh, we also formed a cover band at the same time with one of my friends from growing up and his dad. So we we started playing together seriously. Yeah. And then we were like, all right, let's let's break away from this and do this. So we were like, well, well, and the cover band was good for us because it. They all of a sudden were throwing like uh, Led Allman Zeppelin Brothers, tunes at me, Almond Brothers. Like yeah. within two weeks of me casually playing along to Black Keys tunes, I'm all of a sudden doing the work of two Whipping drummers covering Whipping Post, like, you know. And uh, what was the other one? Levy Breaks, that classic bottom groove. And Free I Bird. don't forget about Freebird. <laughs> Bird. Okay, you know, like all the classic rock tunes yeah. that like I never actually bothered to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I heard them. I'm like I could play that if I wanted, but I never sat wow. down to play it. You know, so the cover band kind of forced me to like figure out where I could play and where I couldn't. It let us figure out how to play together as well. Because yeah. I got to see where Tom was going, and he got to see where I was going with different things, and it really helped us. And then uh, we did come up with the idea of, hey, let's have this band, you know, open up for the cover band. Next thing we know, a week later, we, you know, we're opening up for the cover band. We had two songs, uh, Purple Haze and Cortez, Cortez the Killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and the first wow. show, Chris is, uh, at this point, Andrew was like, guys, I'm too serious at school. Like, I can't really start a band. And Chris heard it, and he was like, 
jumped right in the basement because we practice in the laundry room. So, so it's like, a, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Chris, Chris <laughs> is my friend from Penn State. We met our junior at Penn State, and we had tried unsuccessfully to start about three or four bands, but nobody at Penn State was willing to give space to a budding rock band, yeah. you know? And we rented out construction rooms, like clubs that were going to be clubs. We rented out, like, basements of restaurants. We tried to play in a... Uh, youth group study area and that didn't go over very Quickly well. We got shut down when they started playing Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, Killing in the Name was one of our covers. Uh, that was not appreciated. They they heard us. They were like, "Okay, you can leave." You know, and, you know, and uh, the restaurant we rented out this basement and it was underneath a Thai restaurant on College Ave in Penn State. And we had one practice last about half an hour, and the owner of the restaurant, who doesn't speak much English, came through screaming because apparently you could hear the bass drum through the floor of a restaurant. Yeah. You know, she's trying to set it like a quiet ambiance, and again, you know, <laughs> Rage Against Machine type riffs from the basement is not not doing well for business. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> so anyway, a few years ahead, Chris ended up um, moving away from Boston, where he had mm -hmm. moved up after school, and I had a room open in the house where I got in Philly here, and so he moved in with me, and he he was a player like a like a casual uh, guitar player in college and high school, and he he'd had like the high school bands and. So when we moved in together and he saw Steph and I playing and he saw a, a slot open up when my brother was like, you know, I'm, I'm full time in school. I can't do this. Uh, he just started playing bass, even though he had never done it before. He was always a guitar player before. Yeah. In the first show, his bass amp just cut out like the input jack went on it. <laughs> and in the middle of the set, he turns around and drop kicks the amp into the drum kit. <laughs> and we were like, he's in. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't know Stefan that well. I'd been hanging out with him for a little bit. And he, he's like, do you think he's mad at me? Yeah, you because know, his, his bass amp broke. I was like, no, that's rock and roll. Like, come <laughs> yeah, on it now. It just happens. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, I know you guys are working on a new record, but let's talk about the first one, your first EP. Uh, you guys got to work with Dave Klaus. What was that like for you guys, and, and how did you well, get to do that right out of the gate? It was a great experience. Uh, Dave Klaus was an acquaintance of Chris's through Chris's ex-girlfriend, and uh, they had grown up together. So when we started doing this, and we were like, let's make a record, he had come out to a few of the shows, and uh, he saw us at World Cafe Live. For my, we were doing a um, rock the pack the house entertainment, which is Kevin Frank from Silvertide. That's yep. his entertainment group, and it was my twenty first birthday. And so Dave Klaus came out. He saw us, and he had seen day, us a couple times before. He saw us at yeah, Dobbs for the first time. Yeah, he saw us here and uh, uh, somewhere else. Maybe uh, Twisted Tail, Trocadero, the balcony. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then. Uh, after he saw us at World Cafe Live, he sent Tom a text. Hey, give me a call in the morning. We have to talk. Tom called him. He was like, hey, I'm at Laura's house. Like, that's, this is where I stay when, you know, I'm in town. So he was like, I'll be right over. Comes over. He's like, all right, so you guys want to make a record? And we were like, yeah. He was like, all right, well, let's do this. And we talked a little bit. And our manager at the time uh, had a connection into Sigma. And uh, so we went into Sigma, brand new studio. They just had finished Studio A unbelievable studio so gorgeous and uh, we walked in and nothing was set up so right there the experience of the studio started going downhill real quick well first of all we we only had we we were supposed to have a week in the studio yeah uh in, and we were supposed to be the first band that recorded there we're kind of like the guinea pigs for the room and we're totally mm -hmm. cool with that as like our first studio experience you know i'd never played to a click in a studio in my life yep <clears throat> and that that was a nightmare uh, but we got cut down from the weekly we were supposed to have to two days. 
um, because of Dave's wow. timeline and the studio's timeline and the fact that we didn't really have a budget. Because Dave is working with Shakira, so he was flying between the U.S. and Spain. Yeah, yeah, to you got to fit it in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, he was he was basically doing us a favor. You know, he was like, "Listen, I think you guys have something um, the way it is today." Or, you know, uh, ten years ago, I'd be an A and R person helping you guys out. And he's like, "Those jobs don't exist anymore, and those people don't exist." Yep. And he's like, "It's on the band to professionally produce uh, an EP and and market yourselves and, and do everything." Mm-hmm. Which at the point we didn't know that we didn't know anything. We were just a band in a basement. You know, and like we had actually done a walkthrough of uh, Sigma about six months before, and they were showing us that the room was under construction, and it, it was so funny because they were like, "So, who are uh, the producers you're looking at?" And we were like, "Producers." We said <laughs> this to the to the manager of Sigma. Yeah, the owner. He was like, "Produced." He was like, "Who's your producer?" We we're like, "You, right?" He was like, "No." <laughs> well, we were, we were like, "You guys have those here, right?" You know, and he they, he was like, <laughs> "Oh man, call." Yeah. yeah, I'm in. Yeah, here you know, so we didn't know anything. Um, and then we get into the studio. Uh, none of the patches had ever been even plugged in before. Nothing was done. Yeah. And so our first day, we didn't start recording till six o'clock at night, and we were there at nine in the morning. Wow. You know what I mean? And so yeah. we're just we're itching, ready to go. The first track we we chose to record was the single from the EP, "The Ridge," mm-hmm. and it's got a syncopated uh, groove for the chorus, um, which gave myself and the rest of the band trouble with the click. Mm. So it took us, I don't know, two hours to to get a rough take that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I wanted to, to quit and to leave. And the only reason I couldn't is because there was no exit. There's, I would have left if there was a door behind me. Gotcha. You know. And, kind of uh, trapped there. Yeah, it's trapped. And I had 15 sets of eyes watching. Uh, yeah, because people are just coming yeah, in no and pressure. out of the control yeah. room. Like, yeah, they're you know. like, who is this band? You know, who are these <laughs> great guys? You know, not knowing this is an experiment for us. Uh, and we ended up, we, we got through the day, and we ended up doing, we, we got through the first We a 16-hour day. We ended up doing a second song after that. So we had two songs tracked by the end of the first day. Uh, we went in early in the next day and tracked two more. Another 12-hour day. Um, and by the end of it, we actually did get a little bit comfortable. Um, but it was pretty much, like, it was a rough experience. And it was, mm-hmm. at one point, I think at one point, each person thought about quitting. Yeah. But I'm sure something like that, obviously, you know, you've learned a lot from it. And, yeah, it just you know, you take this stronger. experience and Exactly. It just makes you stronger like that. You, you know, with your new record, when you guys started to go about that, you, you started a Kickstarter fund campaign yeah. for it. And, I mean, from what I understand, reading reading through things, that, that exceeded your expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, like, what was that experience like for you, like, as far as, uh, you know, getting the money funded that way? Well, Tom Tom came up with the idea. Tom, we call him Father Tom. Um, he takes care of all that stuff. But he came up with the idea because we were like, we can't record another record. Like, we don't have the funds to. And Tom was like, well... But doing research, uh, <laughs> Kickstarter, yeah. we could do that. And we were like, is it going to work? He was like, if we do it, yes. If we do it right, yes. Mm-hmm. So he came up uh, with pretty much everything. And we set our goal to $9,200. And we were so scared. Well, at least I was so scared that we weren't going to make that because that was like our last hurrah. If we didn't make that goal, yeah. we were kind of going to go our separate ways. Yeah, it was going to be kind of like a sign that you guys shouldn't do this anymore. Gotcha, you gotcha. Know? Um, but the the funny thing about the Kickstarter is, so we had recorded the first EP in April uh, of, I guess, 2012 now, right? Yeah, 2012. And then we didn't get to mix it till the summer because we had to wait for Dave to come back. And he was gone in yeah. Spain for three months. And we got it, and all of us were excited because it was the first time we heard anything recorded. Like, it sounded big, and we'd never heard ourselves like that except for, like, you know, the live shows. You pay 15 mm-hmm. bucks for a recording. And but none of us were happy. Like and no no, Dave held our hand through the whole thing. He helped us 
you know, and showed us what the what the process was like because we'd never seen it. Stefan had some recording experience, but not from beginning to end on an original album. Yeah, yeah, like I go in there and track the guitar and be like, all right, I'm done. And, and it's horrible. We all felt like we could do more, you know. So I started researching Kickstarter that summer, even before we were done mixing and mastering the EP. And at that point, I realized that we weren't ready for a Kickstarter. Yeah. Because I looked at the I looked at the website and I did the research and I was like, oh, you have to be a real band to do that. You you know you you have to so have. You wanted oh, to wait till you got your EP out that way. Right. You've we got did something to show. Well, and then we got the EP people. and we were holding it in our hand. We didn't. We realized we didn't know we like, how to release gold. it. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't know how to promote it or That's to release a big it. That's for bands. Yep. You know, and then, so we were kind of like working backwards from that. You know, and then we we released it December 7th of last year. Here at Dobbs. Yep. And then uh, literally about a month later, we started planning the Kickstarter for the next one. Mm-hmm. And I think we did about three months of planning before mm-hmm. we actually released it because we had, we'd kind of jumped, jumped the gun. Mm-hmm. We wanted just to do a quick campaign and like raise like a grand. We're like, how cool would a thousand bucks be? You know, we realize that's not that's not, that's not real money. It's, it's not going to need especially Kickstarter and rewards. Thousand dollars, three rewards, pretty much. Like, yeah. And then so I, I was lucky where I, I took a job. Um, Stefan got me as uh, midnight valet over at Waterfront Towers, uh, these uh-huh. condos, and I only had to work for about two hours a night. And then I brought my laptop and a guitar with me, so I would just sit there till five thirty five thirty in the morning when I have to work again. So from midnight to five, I would just do research on Kickstarter. And by the end of about three months, we had a, a legit marketing campaign, and we had a plan, and we had a goal, and we had a film team that worked with us. Uh, Sigma let us come in; they consider us part of their family. They let us come in and, you know, do, shoot the video there for free. We had Big Homie, one yeah, of the rappers in yeah, Philly, one of my good friends, he came uh, in make a cameo. He did it. Um, nice. I presented up. to him. He was like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, don't have to say anymore. Yes, no." So and we called a lot of favors in um, yeah. from a lot of people that we knew, That's you know, cool. to do it. But it, it really was it. You know, I say it's about three months of planning, but it was about six months of planning and about three months of execution. And then the actual last month was hoping that every hoping we did everything right, you know. Um, but had I had I been working uh, during a day job or leading a normal life, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Been able it, to do it yeah. I spent probably 35 just, hours a week on this. Just the way everything comes together. And that's, yeah. you know, everything has a plan, I guess. Yep. And it was crazy because halfway through the campaign, Tom goes, all right, it's dipping. They said this would dip. The attention to this would dip. He was like, all right, let's throw a block party this weekend or next week. And he went and got the permits, and we shut our whole block down. Yeah, we got food trucks. We, we got got hired five bands to come. Uh, we got uh, yards to sponsor it. The whole block Again, calling in favors from it. everybody I knew. Yeah. So we didn't spend any money on it. Wow. And the whole thing is like in the, the campaign, you get like a two-week kind of lull in the middle, you know, where nobody cares about it because people like to have something at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we threw we threw a rager. We had 500 people it was crazy. on our block and had a party all day. Raised a thousand dollars from that. Yeah, we had uh, bands playing all day, and and people last night I had people come in, you know, and talking about the block party that we threw eight months ago. Wow, that is cool. You know, you guys were able to do that. That's yeah. really smart. You know, and then we got the Radio 104.5 slot from that show because from someone, that. yeah, someone who works there walked by and they're like, "Who did this?" And I was, you know, I was <laughs> like, "I did." And he's like, "Well, come down. We'll give you a slot." Very, yeah, so we you did know, it live at five, and it was awesome. And that's when it kind of started to snowball a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. just like little. If you're sh- if you're willing to do something like that, like a little something off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's you know, there are very conventional things I think a lot of people think of, but they don't think of like that's just the stroke of genius, honestly. You know, uh, and it's those. I think it's. I think sadly that w- without those types of ideas, everybody thinks, oh, if I do the same thing that these people did, like a checklist. 
in in promotion ways. I think it's going to be they're going to have the same result. And the reality is is that we're very you know as 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 a species we're very complacent. Oh 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 yeah okay it's the same thing same thing. It's like it's like the same way that bands go. Yeah I marketed. I sent out a Facebook request <laughs> an invite. And wasn't that enough, you know? But you guys going that, you know, that extra mile. We've we've heard many bands, successful bands, talk about how like going out and mingling with their fans, and you know, just not showing up at the show. Just you know, I mean, yeah, go to the show, do your show, but hang around, and talk to people, go to other shows and talk to people, and you're promoting yourself just from socialization. Yes. You guys took it to another whole other step. You're like, hey, we're gonna have a party for everybody, and you elevated your your band. You gave you, you put an excellent positive spin on thing. You made money, and you got a radio slot out of it. When? Yeah, I got to say one of the coolest things about the Kickstarter was we had one of the backings for $100, $125 or whatever. We did the Phillies game with Modern Color. We had 30-some people buy tickets for that. And so a group of 30 of us went to a Phillies game and had a great time, like pre-gamed in the parking lot. And it was just it was so nice to finally actually interact and, you know, be see who these people are and like we're friends with all of them now like they're all part that's of our daily cool. lives pretty much that's really cool and you know they contact us how's everything going you know how see, i don't know i don't know if any i know a couple bands have done kickstarter things and they give things away but i don't know anybody that did a you know kind well, of a yeah one of them you know i mean one yeah one of our we one of our awards uh one of my friends from high school who i played the cross with is a chef he works for uh vetri at osteria mm-hmm. and he's one of the sous chefs there wow and he's he's my roommate. And we're lucky he cooks for us twice yeah. a week. It's amazing. It's so great. <laughs> and uh, so one of our rewards was that he would come and, and cook for you. And so Stefan's parents have a house in Maryland on the on the bay, and they have a, a road where all the neighbors know each other. So they all pitched in, and we went down and had a dinner for I think twenty five people. Yep. We put four picnic tables together, and literally had our chef cook a meal the entire night long. Four courses, right? Yeah, four courses, and we sat out by the bay and ate it. Jeez. Everyone you know? drank beer. Just and then we made a campfire time. and played acoustic guitar and I drank not scotch. See that Kickstarter campaign, huh, guys? You know what I mean? And it's like, because we were asking people, we were like, well, what do you guys want? We are like, we don't want to sign drumstick. Like, that's lame. No, you know, no, like, no, no, you're right. You're right. And it's, it's overdone. Like, like, an experience is cool, like going out to a nice mm-hmm. dinner. So, like, why not bring the dinner to them? Like, we live with a chef. He's my friend. It's not like an outrageous thing. No, you know? no. And for it him, is. it's a promotion for him because, you know, he's a sous chef trying to get his name out there. Yeah, and it's a win-win. Five random around. people, you know, got to uh, do You guys it. definitely got your stuff together with that. Now, with the new record, I know you've been working over over the summer you guys are very close to releasing it uh when can people expect it march 15th we are doing a cd release at the m room uh over in fishtown um but if you check out our reverb nation page uh every week or two, two every weeks. every two weeks every tuesday every, every tuesday, tuesday new music tuesdays like mmr does uh-huh. we're uh, releasing a new track so so far we've released three tracks and they're all up on reverb nation and uh so Leading into the CD release, the album at the end by March fifteenth will be online. And March fifteenth. Yep. Yep. Okay. People can people can find it, keep up yep. to date. Yeah. There's there's your, tickets uh, online for sale for them room. Um, no, no. But I mean, oh. where where yeah, where can people go online? Where yep. can they find it at? Yeah. What's your what's your site? ReverbNation.com. We have our own website, ModernColorMusic.com. Okay. Um, it's currently going through a revamping stage right now. And the interface for the the media player. So right now, Reverb Nation. Reverb Nation is just what we're. Reverb Nation slash modern uh, modern color color. and color spelled with a U, the British spelling. Good. Some people would argue that's the proper spelling. I say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't throw down in here. (laughs) I don't know in the room. So well, he agrees. His parents are from Scotland. So oh, okay. There we go. Yep. So uh, since obviously early at the top of this, you were mentioning about 
um, with learning drums or really getting into the drums. You played a lot of classic rock, um, you know, especially dual bands. Jeez. Um, it's for both of you. Personal preference, uh, Bon Scott or Brian Johnson? Bon Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Going with Bon Scott. All right. Good, 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 good. I'd like to fill the room out on that one. Well, tell you what, why don't we uh, take a listen to another song? Uh, what are we going to hear this time? This is a Love to Hate, I believe. It's the, the second single off the album. Um, the reason being, our producer loved the pre chorus for the song more than any other song. He thought it was the strongest thing on the record. Um, and he, he loved the interplay with the, uh, the bass drum and the bass guitar, with the rhythm, and then the build up, the dynamics of the guitar. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of our favorite songs, I think, to play live. Yeah, we had a. Uh an old R&B singer, her name is Jaguar Wright. She was, uh, we were working with her for a little bit, just, you know, trying to get our stuff together. And she said some, I had a little incident and she said, I would hate me if I were you right now. And we took it and ran with it. So, <laughs> Yeah. It was, uh, you know, about dealing with people, uh, being jealous of other people's success. Yeah. You know, that's, it's not a very complicated concept. Mm -hmm. but. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's spin that. I just say spin that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, click play on the digital uh, computer thingy.
Guys, um, if you only if you had like a minute to tell someone why they should listen to your music, what would you tell them? Uh, well, I think we, I, our artists put it best. Actually, um, an artist we met to do the the album artwork, which we actually just got today. Mm-hmm. Um, we met with him a few weeks ago, and we've been giving him demos of the recordings as we were going through. Nice. And then when we finally got the the mixed and mastered ones, we sent him over and with all the lyrics and everything. And he met with us, and we spent two hours talking about concepts, ideas, what we wanted it visually to look like. Um, and he said that the theme that he found throughout the entire record was uh, a call to arms, um, not against poverty or race or government, uh, but about apathy. He's like, I see a trend in your songs about just get up and do something. Mm-hmm. You know? And he was like, and I think that's important in this day and age with the, the economic you know, turmoil that the country's in. A lot of people, a lot of highly educated people being lost. And and we chose to do music, you know. And we never consciously set out to say that message. Each song is different. But a listener and an artistic person, that's the message that he found as a common thread. And it was interesting. Steph and I never really had thought about that even. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had said he's, he knows so many people who are in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s who are highly skilled and don't have careers. You know, and he has seen us. He, I met him three years ago when we started this band. So he's seen us go through the process of becoming a, a band that, you know, has recorded a professional album now. And that was the thing that he found, you know, most interesting and that, the common theme. So I think that's why anybody should listen to it, you know. I, I think it's current, and I think it makes sense. Well, that just uh, says it real all right there. Wow. I, I could not have asked for a better answer from anybody. Uh, that was yeah, that was a damn good answer. Thank you. you. You guys were worried about the questions. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, you know, being now that you are basically Philly resident, I mean, you have been, but you know, uh, what do you, what do you see for the future of? Um, how do you see the, the outlook, the future for local music in the, in, in the tri-state area? Here? Um, it's a little difficult to say actually right now. I mean, there's so many good bands, but at the same time, so many venues are not doing too well just this day and age like the Blockley just closed that's a big one yeah. like we we got to open up for Davy Knowles over at the Blockley in September and it's we've played there five times the and, Jen Hartswick band yeah we opened up for Jen Hartswick who's Trey Anastasio's uh, singer right trumpet player trumpet player and uh, it was amazing like I love the Blockley to, and to have that go it's it's heart wrenching because it's big stage so nice but uh, you know there's other places you know Dobbs is doing its thing now Re- new owner is doing everything and i guess it's i love dobbs as well you know we host open jams here and so it's this is a home base for us but it's there are some good bands but not a lot of good music venues right now yeah i'd say that so it's uh definitely it's I think like it's, the grape room so far away like, oh that's yeah. on many yeah. and that's another cool one to play yeah. scooter over there does a great job and 
I mean, Philly's got a great scene, though. I think for a lot of different types of music, you know, you got the jazz scene's thriving. Uh, there was there was a I think a year and a half period where Steph and I would go to Time on Monday every every Monday uh, just to watch. We would never even imagine sitting in. We never, just, no way. We we just love to watch them, and we we know all the guys that play. And I took drum lessons from one of the drummers there, just because I, I enjoyed watching his playing so much, you know. And I hired him for a couple of weeks just to teach me a, a few licks, you know. Yeah. Um, but we'd go there, Chris's Jazz Cafe. You know, those are great spots just to go enjoy music. Um, we have a couple of friends that are in the hip hop scene in Philly, you know, and they play at places like Silk City, Underground Arts. Yep. And some of the musicianship is just phenomenal in, in both those venues, you know. And then you've got a rock scene in places like Dobbs here, which is so different from those other two avenues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But a lot of the players kind of know each other. Like, a lot of the circles very run. Very small world. Yes, know? very small world. Like, and I think there's, there's cool things like... Uh, through Twitter, oddly enough, I found a thing uh, called the uh, Beats, Brews, and Banter. It's a Philly drum project um, that was started, I think, two years ago. Every first Monday of every month, we meet on 22nd and Walnut and drink beer and sit around a, at Roosevelt's Tavern. We drink beer and sit around a drum set, and a professional drummer comes in and does a clinic, and you ask him questions. Cool. You know, or and... Yeah. Or, yeah, or, yes. yes. Uh, Allison asked. Miller, they yeah. had a... Crazy. So, yeah, crazy. and I went for a couple of them, and I learned so much just by watching. And, and it's different than watching a YouTube video or a drumming instruction DVD, because you, yeah. you can see it right there. And uh, so I brought Stefan with me one time, you know, just so we could understand the art of drumming in a different way than me being like, no, no, it's like this, you know? And I brought my bassist with me one time, and he was like, oh, I didn't know that much went into it. Even though we've been playing for three years together, he didn't understand how much work went into a simple beat, you mm -hmm. know, and how much technique goes into one dynamic, you know? So, and it's just, that's, that's right in our backyard. Like I take a cab to that. It's a $5 cab ride. Wow. You know, so I think there's a lot of education in the city, you know, and I think there's a lot of good music. Uh, there's a lot of bands. I've had a lot of conversations with people talking about the Pearl Jam 20 documentary. They talk about the scene in Seattle in the early nineties, how a lot of bands supported each other. Like I think, um, uh, Eddie Vedder says a quote talking about if we weren't playing a show, we'd be at a show any day of the week. Yep. And if if I couldn't make it, some member of my band was there as like an ambassador, mm -hmm. you know. And so you could see, and it's it's yeah, funny it's very because important like to support that way, you know. And we're all busy. Like we work at in restaurants and we work in service industry jobs, so a lot of us are working at night, you know. But we try we try to get out and to try to support people because it's like it's easy to see someone's name and be like, oh, those guys are playing a show on Friday. But how much in your own band have you changed in one month? Like, what, what new covers did you put in, or what songs have you changed, or what songs weren't working did you take out? And what other band is doing the same thing? You know, so you can think you saw a band, and one month later they can be a completely different band. You know? Very true. Very true. So, guys, and wrapping up here, you know, with uh, the rest of this year coming up, the new EP, uh, Millennium Music Fest as well. You guys are yeah, going to be playing that. Again. We are. Um, what's next for Modern Color? Where do you guys want to take yourselves next? We got to do some touring now. Yeah, I mean, we're we're road ready. You know, um, the next the next step is for us to do the the band in a van. You know, <laughs> van with van. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's the next stage. Um, so after we release the record, um, we plan on going on a, a self uh, self tour. Basically, we're gonna finance it ourselves, mm -hmm. and we're trying to try to head down either south or west. Yep. Um, we have family in both places, and yep. we're going to try to see how far we can get. You know? Sweet. And then uh, we have a couple festivals that we're trying to get into for the summer. Yep. 
and then we're we've already written our next album basically <laughs> like we we have enough for another album that already. does not surprise me you guys are really hard working that's great you know so we're, we're we want to get back in the studio as soon as possible we know that's not going to happen for six months but yeah yeah but when it does it's going to be good well look I, I wish you guys a lot of luck with uh, everything you're doing it seems Thank to you. me that you're firing on all pistons so um you know i i don't see why it wouldn't happen honestly to tell you the truth uh, thank you for taking time to do the interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having uh, us. I've seen you guys around here a couple of times, and we just didn't get around to doing an interview. Um, so looking forward to seeing you play downstairs as well. Everybody, uh, this has been Sean with Unclaimed Bands. Our guests have been Modern Color. Uh, until next time, make sure you come back for more music. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. The statements, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely ways of the individual and in no way reflect the views of the unclean band, its parent company, or subsidiaries.